Uh, it really is good to be together today. Uh, I'm tempted to try and replicate Mark Batterson's accent as well, but I think we'll sort of um, give that one a miss. But um, we're continuing on week three of The Circle Maker, and um, we pray that God will minister to us today, speak to us. Um, the approach to ministry over these four weeks is a little different from usual, in the sense that we are in some respects, taking something of the script from that great church leader and then bringing our own um, flavour upon it. Julie said to me this week that some churches do that every week, and the reality is it's true. Um, But the fact of the matter is, friends, we do believe it's the word of the Lord into this church for this particular time. And uh, Christians set it up beautifully over the last couple of weeks, reminding us in the first week that prayer honours God. And prayer honours God when things seem beyond us, but are always in God's purpose. In other words, friends, God revels in the impossible. He really does. And then last week, we were encouraged to dream big. And I know that particularly at Arena, Ilkeston, last Sunday morning, many, many people recommitted, consecrated afresh their dreams, their heartfelt dreams to God, were anointed afresh to believe that those things that had birthed deep in our heart, actually, we're going to continue to commit to the prayer journey. I was reading on uh, uh, the blog of a very respected North American uh, pastor's uh, output just recently. His name is Pastor Frank Damasio. Some of you will know of him. And he's reading The Circle Maker at this particular time. He said this. He says, The the Circle Maker is not a mechanism. In fact, prayer is never a mechanism, friends. If you think that it's the sort of katunch, you put enough in the top and it'll come out the back and you'll end up with a jackpot, you're going to be disappointed. It's a relationship. It's not a mechanism. It's not about you saying the right words or getting it just right or confessing it just right. Otherwise, if you don't, it won't come through. It's a relationship. It's not a mechanism, but it's a call to pray. It's a call to pray audaciously and boldly. And as I've read The Circle Makers, I've allowed the juices of that book from a great church leader uh, of a different generation to me. You'll see Mark's up behind and great significance in that nation and uh, big guys, you can see also a big unit. But uh, um, you, you'll recognize that prayer is continually being inspired. So for me, friends, the call to prayer is to move increasingly from being general to specific. To move increasingly from being bland to deliberate. To move increasingly from hoping to expecting. That's the heart of God over us in these particular days. To lovingly And longingly bring our requests intentionally before the living, loving God who we've worshipped this morning, who we've confessed, who we've sensed his presence, to lay all those things before God and believe that God will do something amazing in our lives in this season for such a time as this. I'm going to read a couple of verses of scripture from Luke 18, if they could go up on the screen, and we'll come back to them in a moment. But Luke 18, Jesus is sharing some teaching with the disciples. There's a phrase within there that will really be the very essence of what we're saying today. It says that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He went on to say, he said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for a short time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me or persisting, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Amazing. A persistent widow. 
I want to draw a, con- a comparison in a moment between the unjust judge who gave her what she wanted because she kept asking with a loving father that broods over this, this congregation this morning that is longing, friends, to give us what will, what will bless our lives if only, we can ask, if only we'll ask him. And ask him boldly and ask him audaciously and ask him specifically. James says that we don't receive at times simply because we don't ask. More than a decade ago, Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at the Berlin Elite Academy of Music did a study with musicians. And with the help of professors, they divided violinists into three groups. World-class soloists, good violinists, and those that were unlikely to play professionally. All of them started playing around the same age, and they practiced about the same amount of time until they got to the age of eight. That's when their practice habits diverge. The research found that by the age of 20, the average player unlikely to play play professionally, a practice 4,000 hours. The good violinists, their practice had totaled 8,000 hours. And the elite performers had gained that standard because they had practiced 10,000 hours. Now, while there's no denying that innate ability, gift that God gives to people, some of the upside-down potential and the potential is only tapped via persistent effort. In other words, the survey was saying, you could be a maestro, you could be a brilliant, natural, gifted musician, but you're only going to attain to your full potential by putting some significant practice in. He goes on to say that persistence is the magic bullet and the magic number seems to be around 10,000. Interestingly, there was some debate about that on the radio just the other week. And the story goes on that the emerging picture from studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert. Neurologist David Levitin says, in study after study, comparing sports uh, players, fictional writers, concert pianists, chess masters, and so on, the number comes up again and again and again that has found a case that true world-class expertise was only accomplished in less... In a, in a time that it seemed to allow the brain to assimilate, and the brain to assimilate, to come to a place of world-class expertise, seemed to be 10,000 hours. Now, let me say straight away, you might say, oh, does that mean I've got to pray for 10,000 hours before God's going to listen to me? No, it doesn't mean that. But I want you to remember the heart of where I'm trying to go this morning, that men are always to pray and never to give up. By the way, for those of you that like to crunch the numbers, 10,000 hours is 416.66666. We'll put a seven on to stop it. Days. And it's 50, uh, 59.5 weeks. In other words, over a year of continual praying. You leave the church today and you pray continually 24-7 for the next year. You'd still not gain 10,000 hours. Well, not many of us have prayed 10,000 hours. Probably not many of us. But here's the truth that we're trying to communicate this morning, that prayer is a habit to be cultivated. It is a discipline to be developed. If I can put it this way, friends, prayer is a skill to be practiced. Praying is praying is praying is praying. People have said to me, how do I start praying? By praying. How do I get better at praying? By praying. How do I learn to spend more time in the presence of God? By praying. In other words, friends, it's never going to happen unless we pray. 
And the call all over the world today, friends, interestingly, is a fresh call to pray. You see, I think church on occasions has tried to short-circuit this. They thought if we do this right and that right and the other right, if we get all the places in place, it'll work anyway, and it never does. Because the reality is, we'll see in a moment, prayer forever brings us back to a dependency on the living God. To say, God, without you, we really can do nothing. You understand that when a pilot, air pilot, is uh, trying to find his license, that he doesn't just turn up at Terminal 5 Heathrow tomorrow morning and decide that he's going to take a transatlantic jet from here into Chicago. And Jeremy comes on the mic and says, Hi, guys. Welcome to Virgin Airlines. This is the first time I've ever sat in a cockpit. Good morning to you. Because what would happen is there'd be anarchy within the seats and everybody would be fastly getting back down onto the tarmac. The reality is, friends, we never meet this guy. We know what he sounds like. We know what his name is. We put our implicit trust and faith in the fact that he's going to get us from A to B. And we do it on the basis that he's put some time in to learn his skill. Those of you that are interested in that will know that they literally log the hours. Now, we're not introducing prayer log books into Arena Church. You'll be pleased about that. But here's the truth, friends. We need to pray. And we need to pray more. And we need to be more intentional about what God is doing in our lives. This lady, Jesus uses as an illustration. It's a story. It's a parable. But it would have a context within the culture of Jesus' day that people could identify with. It's of a lady that's persistent in her request. It's someone that shows that praying persistently is like, on occasions, knocking our knuckles until they're raw. It's crying out until our voice is lost. It's pleading on occasions until the tears run dry. It's praying hard, friends, and praying through. And when we pray through, God does come through. The phrase literally in the context of Luke 18 is from the unjust judge. I'm going to give this woman what she wants because her persistent request is wearing me out. So she's going to get it anyway. She was desperate for an answer. I'm going to come to that in a moment. But I want to say, friends, that desperate times call for desperate measures. And there's no more desperate act that the Christian can engage in but praying persistently before God. Throwing caution to the winds. Believing that God would do something amazing. Drawing a circle around a particular context, situation, person or experience. And saying, God, we need you to come through. Why was this woman so persistent? Well, we don't know what the injustice was that had taken place. But we know that the lady wasn't going to take no for an answer. Maybe her son had been falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Maybe someone had mistreated her daughter and was still on the streets. Whatever it was, the judge knew that this lady was not going to let go. She asked and she asked. And she asked. I think the great challenge to the Western church friends in this area is that so very often we give up. We give up, friends, because we can sometimes afford to give up. We can afford to look to our own ingenuity, our own efforts, our own ideals. 
our own intellect. I want to tell you, friends, there are contexts all around the world, but they can do nothing else but keep coming to God again and again and again and again. They have no resource. They have no money. They have no nothing of this earth that would help them come through with the answer they need. And I believe, friends, without us getting weird or strange or odd, that we need a fresh desperation within the Western church that cries out to God and says, God, we are not going to let you go until you come through for those things that we're believing you about. And I think, friends, that Arena Church can be one of those churches that is a catalyst for a fresh, desperate call upon the living God. You see, if we're not desperate, we don't take desperate measures. We don't pray, friends, like everything depends upon us, but actually everything depends upon God. I'll come to that in a moment. Working like everything depends on us, but knowing and praying that everything depends upon God. And the persistent widow's methodology was unorthodox. She broke through every protocol to access the judge and didn't give a rip what anybody thought. And friends, people did that again and again as they came into the presence of Jesus. There was a lady whose past life had been involved in prostitution that fell at the feet of Jesus and anointed him with oil. There was a man that had ripped people off through taking more tax than was necessary so that he could end up with a very affluent life that was so desperate to get to Jesus. And because he was little in stature, he hid in a tree until Jesus come along and says, mate, I'm coming to your house for tea, you better get ready. And then again and again, friends, when people get desperate for God, God comes just at the right time to come and meet our needs. Stories of holy desperation again and again. People taking desperate measures to reach out to God, to believe that he will do something. And God today, friends, is still honoring people, churches, communities of believers that say, I'm going to keep coming to you, Lord. I'm going to pray. and I'm not going to give up. Do you mind if I'm just a tad edgy just for a moment? And uh, I'll ask for your forgiveness afterwards. But it's amazing what flies through the, the, uh, the, the pastor's office. I'll describe it as that on a regular basis in Arena Church. It's not gossip. Very often it can be encouraging, not always. But things float around on the ether called Arena Church through the atmosphere. It may be that you said it, you said it to somebody else. But lots of stuff comes back to us. So if it's been naff on a Sunday, sometimes during the week, we do tend to find out from somebody somewhere, you know. But I want to make a couple of comments this morning. I want, to re- I want to place them in a context for you. I want you to see that we need to be desperate about these needs. Here's the first one, both relevant to Wilkiston. We're always going on about Mansfield. Here's the answer. We're not. In fact, we've not even announced the Sunday night service this morning. Oh, we did. You announced it. Oh, okay. I was getting ready for the ministry. That's my excuse. Very rarely do we announce it. Here's the truth. Five years ago, I was just talking to Christian this week. We engaged on a sense of repurposing an arena. We didn't really know where we were going with it, but we know that God was helping us. It's been a Pentecostal witness that's been expressed in this sort of expression in this town since 1929. We thank God, friends, and honour every person that's brought us to 2012. Because without them, we couldn't be here. 
But we can't live in 1929. You know that, don't you? And we can't live in 1979. And we can't live in 2009. We've got to continually be what God wants us to be for such a time as this. Without us really realizing at the time, and with some naivety, we brought a group of people together that says, actually, we'll repurpose a little bit of what defines us as church. The name shifted from Ilkeston Christian Center or Ilkeston Christian Fellowship, whatever it was, to Arena Church. Amazing how many people say, I like that name. Not that it belongs to this church, but I like it. So we say, well, we're in the arena, you know, it's running, it's running. It's battling, it's, they love it. It's great, it's a prophetic name. And uh, we began to articulate some things amongst us that took us a nine, ten month journey that says we'll commit to print. One of the phrases that came out of that was from Christians. He said, we're talking minimally about the next ten years. You'll probably hear a little bit next week about how we sometimes need to solve things in that slow burn but come to fruition if we'll stay faithful. And one of the things that we wrote about in terms of four elements of what defined Arena Church was the thought of hope. It says these words, reflecting God's abundant generosity by giving extravagantly of our time, our money, and our skills to people who are in spiritual, listen, and material need. Generous in doing what God has called us to do to people that are in spiritual and material need. We then wrote a a, a series called DNA, and one of the elements of DNA, what else? The very DNA of Arena Church is generosity. It's nothing to do, friends, with how much is in your bank accounts, to do with the bigness of your heart. People that are wealthy are not generous, and people that aren't wealthy are. That's how it works in the kingdom. I've been to Eastern Europe many times, friends. They've not got anything, but boy, generous people. You better believe it. Incredible. So God set us on a track. God set us on a journey. And three years this autumn, as the then superintendent of East Midlands region, I got involved in the church in Mansfield that was Bolton Street. Some of you had been part of that. And the reality was, friends, if I can say it with absolute grace, the church was in crisis. Uh, the pastor had gone into problems. And the reality was, was at the beginning of 2010, there was 10 people in the church and we arranged to have an afternoon service. We used to do two services here. I used to go on, change my shirt, be straight out again for the three o'clock service at Mansfield. We did that for six months. We did it in the dead of winter. We did it when it was so snowy, we couldn't get up the drive. If anybody's been to Bosworth, it was freezing cold inside. One Sunday, the, the May Day Bank College, we had four people there. And there was only me singing in tune. And, uh, and uh, no, no instruments. I say all that, friends, because it was in a dire strait, but people were praying. People were praying. There was a little group of people that got the bigger picture. They refused to give up, to pray and not give up. To be desperate with God and to keep praying so that the juices of all that had been good in the past in that church, and there had been some great times and great leaders. A church that's produced Christian in terms of his formative spirituality and other people around this church was going to come to a new day. I kissed and called them for six and a half months. And then the SS, SAS commandos arrived in the form of Christian on July the 4th, 2010. He says, mate, I've got a real word burning in my heart. A, a Mansfield lad had said to me three or four years before, hey, I'd love to do something in Mansfield. This was the time. And he just, I, I mean, it's up a little bit, but he graciously but firmly and strongly laid something onto the people about this is where we're seeing it. People have been praying. She says, yeah, we're going for that. We're going for that. 
So in September 2010, just over two years ago, we began Arena Church Mansfield. You see, Arena Church Mansfield is Arena, and Arena is Mansfield. That's how it works, friends. That's how it works. And lots of people came on that first night, and lots of people committed from this church for 12 months. Great. People have prayed, people have prayed, refused to give up. The reality is out of the 10, three left in the first month. Wonderful, isn't it? The encouraging... But, so the magnificent seven, as we describe them, stayed. And uh, three people left because we weren't meeting in a proper church building. Have you worked out what a church is? Thank God for buildings, friends, but it's nothing to do with a building. It's about people. The reality is that over those two years, the people from Ilkeston has gone down. The people from Mansfield has gone up. We're disappointed now if we don't get 70 on a Sunday night. Why, friends? Because people prayed and refused to give up. And here's the second thing. On the ether of Arena Church, Ilkeston, you're always going on about food bank. Question, or rather answer, we're not. But here's the truth. Christian got something pumping in his heart. And... uh, in the, in the many gifts of this man, uh, I absolutely honour him today for keeping us on track to remember why we come, and it's about lost people. About yeah. outward facing. We'll, we'll never become an inward facing church while Christians are around. Never. And I really do thank him for that. And uh, here's the truth we began to see that there were people on the doorstep of our church that had no food. We began to find out that kids were going to, 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 to bed hungry at night. We've even found out recently, friends, from a documentary that BBC East Midlands did, that on the doorstep of our church, and I say this with no edge whatsoever, is the most deprived community in Derbyshire. Lots of problems. And one great church leader in the past says, preach the gospel, and if you, do, if you must, use words. And we realised that this was a words and work situation. And some of them have come to listen to our words, but they've been very interested in our works. And people began to pray. People began to pray and refused to give up. We started with a couple of shelves full of food. And then you can remember that horrible wooden pallet that used to be out. That's all we had. And then we've, we've had dusty bin and that, you know. But here we are, friends, people repaying and refusing to go. At our staff meetings, we've prayed. Many of you have prayed on a regular basis. We've not mentioned it in the church every week. We've just got on with it. But from no team, we've got a team of over 20 people. There are people around this room that give up a Tuesday morning or a Friday afternoon. They're in the kitchen. They're unsung heroes. They don't ask for anything to be said about them publicly. They're amazing. I want to tell you, friends, that we need to keep praying and not give up. And here's the journey two years later that we've given over £35,000 worth of food away. Hundreds of parcels blessed lots of people. And whenever we say that, by the way, another bit of edge, we're only ever doing it to give Jesus Christ, the head of the church, all the praise and all the glory. But here's the truth, friends. It's because people prayed. And we worked like it's all dependent upon us, but we've prayed like it all depends upon God. And the two have come together to situate us now where we've got a building that's 7,000 square feet which was going to cost us £15,000 to run in the first year. We've nearly got it in the midst, friends, of the biggest double-dip recession that this country's known for 50 years. That is only God. That is only God. And here's why we need to be desperate. 
I'm going to be very, very careful what I say over the next minute or so because we're on podcast. But two weeks last Friday, we had a young man in food bank. And uh, last Friday was his funeral. I'm not going to say anything more about that because it's not appropriate for a public context, but we are literally dealing in matters of life and death. We had a lady come into the church just a few days, a few weeks ago, that when she's paid all her bills, she's got £23 a month to live on, and that's to buy food. And the reality is, friends, we need to pray. We need to pray with a holy desperation. We need to work like it all depends upon us and pray like it all depends upon God. We need to pray and never give up with audacity and tenacity because God is doing some amazing things. I say all that, friends, because whatever progress we've made, a Mansfield is still a tender flower that needs a lot of cultivating still. But whatever progress God has helped us to make in both those two contexts that I've mentioned is because people have refused to give up on prayer. And God has come through. I want to give one final illustration from the Old Testament to just drive this point home today. And it's found in the end of 1 Kings 18. It's one of the most favorite portions of scripture for me in the whole of the Old Testament. And he says, as Elijah said to Ahab, verse 41, go eat and drink for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Or as one translation says, there is a sound of the abundance of rain. It's a picture, friends, of revival. He goes on to say, so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He was desperate. And God, he said to his servant, go and look towards the sea. He told his servant and he went up and looked. And the servant says, there's nothing there. Even though God had promised on the back of a wonderful victory over the prophets of Baal that he'd send rain. And seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah says, go and tell Ahab, hitch up the chariot and go down before the rains stop you. I want to tell you, friends, we've got people in this congregation this morning that have prayed desperately for revival for years. And God's heard those prayers. And God is still to do something in our nation, friends, that he's never done before. He really is. And he'll do it when he finds contexts and communities of people that are desperate for God. And say, God, we hear the sound of the abundance of rain. We see all around us, we see the secularism, we see the materialism, we see the pluralism. We see all the issues around us. We see the individualism that says, I can do it my way. We see everything around us that would militate against the move of God, but we've never stopped being desperate to hear you do something that is beyond our imagination because when God sends the rains, friends, things amazingly happen. You know from Christian's introduction to this series that it came out of a great story of the legendary past of only drawing a circle and interestingly praying for rain. It struck me afresh, friends, that this took place in what's known as the intertestamental period. Don't worry about it, but it's the bit between Malachi and Matthew. It's around about 400 years and nothing seemed to be happening. 
But here's the truth. When nothing seems to be happening, there are always people desperately praying. And always there is something that is happening. You see, the reality is, friends, that the church of Jesus Christ was birthed in great fire. And around about the 408 AD, it entered into nearly a thousand year period where nothing seemed to be happening. But people prayed. You can find documentation, friends, even through what is known as the dark ages of people calling on God, speaking in tongues, praying, desperate for a move. And then God got hold of a German monk by the name of Martin Luther and a wild fire began to spread through Europe, friends, that we still draw on the juices today because we stand in this church today to say that in our God, it is nothing to do with us, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That was the birth of the revival message. Why? Because people refused to stop praying. Elijah held his ground. He stood on the promises of God and he prayed and he prayed. I think Elijah would have prayed 10,000 times for that cloud as the size of a man's hands came. But he got to seven times, friends, and he prayed. What, what had happened if he stopped at six? And it may be that we've got people in the church this morning. You say, I prayed and prayed and prayed. It seems to get darker and darker. Here's the truth. The darkest hours before the dawn. And when it seems most darkest, friends, you're on the cusp of a breakthrough in God. But you just need to persistently trust in the living God that washes over you afresh this morning with his grace and mercy to believe that God will do something amazing in your lives. People that will refuse to stop praying and keep coming to the holy, wonderful, providing God. This is drawing circles of prayer. And friends, it's easy as... For all of us at times to lose heart, to lose patience, and even to lose faith that God can do what he said he would do. But I want you to run again this morning to the promises of God over your lives. I want you to believe again that God will do something amazing within your heart and within your life. Did you know, friends, that there are over 3,000 promises in the scriptures? 3,000 promises that God's waiting for us to embrace as the purposes of God for our lives. 3,000 promises that we can take hold of and believe that God will come through for the glory of the Lord. I want to read a verse of scripture over you this morning. I read it over a Christian just recently, and I've read it over one or two leaders. And I read it in a prayer time recently, but I want to read it this morning over every person here because it says this, Paul writing to Timothy says, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies, or if I can put a word there, promises once made over you so that by recalling them you might fight the battle well and here's what we need to do arena church as we draw the ministry to a conclusion this morning we need to gather all the promises of god that are over our lives all the prophetic words that sit over this church we need to garner them afresh in the hand of god when we felt pushback when we felt that god had never do it when we've been tempted to cave in that we take those things afresh over our lives And say, God, we receive them by faith again over us. You said them. And if you said them, then you'll do them. So that we might fight the battle well. See, when we read the Bible, friends, we need to recognize that we're reading God's word. And actually, the Bible offers us an opportunity by reading it to be inspired afresh in our prayer journey. What if reading became a form of praying? 
and praying became a form of reading. May God help us. May we continue, friends, to pray through the Bible. May we continue to absorb the promises of God over our lives. May we continue to believe that God will do something amazing for all of us. In fact, the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through, you'll never run out of promises to circle. And God will come through. I was reading the circle maker that the the circles don't have to be just nice circles. They can have jagged edges. I was inspired by that because part of my world is taken up with a wider context in terms of Assemblies of God. And I thank Arena Church for releasing me into that. And I take Arena Church into all of that. And I was looking at the map that's on my wall uh, just this week on my bookshelf that embraces 10 Midland counties, 140 expressions of Assemblies of God, over 200 Christian leaders. And sometimes that's a little daunting. And I want to tell you with some of them, I feel like, no, I won't say that. but, but, uh, But the reality is, it's just an amazing privilege to serve the Lord. And then I realized something. I brought a little downsized map. It's a jagged edge circle. And I pray for these guys on a regular basis. I pray that we'll have advancing prevailing churches all over the Midlands. Millions and millions of lost people that yet need to come to Jesus. Because we've got leaders and leaders inspiring churches. Be like the persistent widow. And leaders and leaders of churches to have the spirit of Elijah. And so we're not going to pray six times. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying because we hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And for God, friends, to pour out of his spirit afresh of this area in which we live in and do something that we've never, ever seen before. To work like it all depends upon us. And to pray because it all depends upon God. I wonder this morning if there's a prodigal that you need to freshly confess the promises of God over today. You say, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. But men ought to always pray and never give up. Maybe a situation that seems unchanging, maybe a family member, maybe some health issue, maybe some financial provision, maybe that you're passionate about the reins of revival and you're dissatisfied with what you see at the moment and you see something in the spirit that says, God, you're going to do something that will be absolutely amazing. Friends, this is the call that we're engaged in in these moments. A call to pray bold, audacious prayers. Anything less insults, almighty God. You heard it week one. A call to dream big and to embrace afresh those dreams that are in our hearts that stir us and impassion us. A call this morning to pray and never give up. The song, well-known song of a title that became one of the landmark messages of this particular Uh, journey of arena church i'd written it down this morning the christian nudged me as we were singing the song it's really true about prayer friends don't stop me now